0: is good and powerful uh, how can you account for the last six months that's the key question that we're going to be exploring today at bible shots uh, well welcome to bible shots uh, i'm lachlan in case we haven't met before i'm part of city bible forum and we run bible shots because we think the bible has something uh, important uh, and even essential for us to say so we set time aside during our work day to actually stop and consider what does the Bible have to say to us? Uh, And they're Bible shots because we hope that like an espresso shot, they're going to be uh, short, punchy and leave you feeling energised for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, You may not have opened a Bible before, that's okay. Our speakers work hard to try and make the Bible as accessible as possible. Uh, Not everyone who tunes into Bible shots would say they are a follower of Jesus. So as long as you're happy to uh, actually consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you joining us. Uh, If this is your first time joining us live or watching the live stream uh, at a later date, uh, it's a pretty simple format. We look at part of the Bible, we hear a talk on part of the Bible, and then we actually have a chance for some Q&A. So if you do want to involve in Q&A, the easiest way if you're on Zoom is to use the Q&A function uh, and send me a question. I'll ask Rob those questions. Or if you've joined us live via Facebook, uh, you can type your comments uh, underneath the video and one of the other City Bible Forum staff will send them to me, uh, and that'll go to the pool of questions that I'll engage with Rob over uh, at the end of the talk. Uh, we're continuing our series, Jesus Versus Suffering. Our speaker is Rob Martin, who's based in the City Bible Forum, Melbourne office. And uh, welcome again to Bible Shots, Rob. Good to have you back.
1: It's great to be back. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: how have things uh, been going in Melbourne over the last week? How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, we had a, had a lovely long lovely weekend. Moment. But um, yeah, had a great, had great, lovely weather down here in recent times. And it's been a bit cold in the mornings, but beautiful days.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, today you are helping us consider Jesus versus natural evil, uh, which is I think particularly pertinent as we think over the last six months and we consider the bushfires, the floods, the locust plagues, the pandemic. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see what you have to say about Jesus versus natural evil. The part of the Bible that we're looking at is from Matthew chapter 8. And so I will uh, screen share... Uh, I don't have the screen sharing function working at the moment. If you'd like to follow along, you can go to uh, BibleGateway.com and we're looking at Matthew chapter 8. Otherwise, um, I will read along and uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean jesus reached out his hand and touched the man i am willing he said be clean immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy then jesus said to him see that you don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift moses commanded as a testimony to them when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him asking for help lord he said my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in israel with such great faith i say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then jesus said to the centurion go let it be done just as you believed it would and his servant was healed at that moment
1: As we begin today, i ask a question. Bone cancer in children? What's that about? Now, these words were spoken several years ago by atheist comedian Stephen Fry when interviewed on Irish television. Now, the host at Gay Byrne asked Fry to suppose it was all true and asked what he would then say to God when he died and was confronted by the Almighty. And Fry replied with these words, he says, I'd say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world where there is such misery that is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. So bone cancer in children, what's that about God? Now, that the presence of pain and suffering in our world is a common reason to reject the existence of, of a good God. And, and the last six months, as Lachlan has just said, with coronavirus and bushfires, etc., it's been very much on the, the front of our, of our minds. And it's claimed that a loving God would never allow this much pain. In fact, one atheist blogger once wrote, bone cancer in children does it for me. I'm fine with God punishing adults. By the time we reach adulthood, we've all done something evil in the eyes of a biblical God. But children? A two-month-old with bone cancer no sorry but that small child has done nothing wrong a god with the ability to stop bone cancer in children but doesn't is an evil god so hence we're left with the conclusion that many atheists make god's either impotent evil or imaginary so what do we say now Stephen Fry's question to God is certainly valid. I can certainly see why he gets angry in the face of suffering and injustice. But unfortunately for him, his criticism becomes empty when you consider the alternative. Because for Fry actually offers no alternative. Atheism, which Fry subscribes, offers no meaningful explanation for suffering. Or indeed, the very concept of meaning is absent in materialist atheism. In fact, uh, the leading atheist Richard Dawkins actually agrees. He once said, "The total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good." nothing but blind pitiless indifference so to dawkins our universe has no purpose no good no evil no grand design nothing but blind pitiless indifference things just happen and that's it some people get lucky and some people don't there's no rhyme or reason to it so atheism in the end offers no answer to why questions just things just are so if Stephen Fry and Richard Dawkins are right and God is simply imaginary, then when we suffer and when we feel pain, we can do well, we can do whatever we want, but we just can't ask the big question, why? So to the poor kid who has bone cancer, we just shrug our shoulders. If that little feeble, pained voice on the operating table asks, Daddy, why do I have bone cancer? You just have to say, Well, you're unlucky, kid. The atheistic universe offers nothing but blind pitiless indifference in the face of suffering atheism offers no answer to suffering we suffer and that's it so then what about god if god is real how could a good god give bone cancer to children well that's the big question that we're going to be reflecting on today and remember the goal of this series jesus versus suffering we're examining how jesus responds to evil and suffering in the world because the reason rationale being is the best way to know anything about god is if he reveals himself and god has revealed himself most comprehensively through the person and works of jesus christ so we're going to look at how jesus responds to the problem of evil and we're going to ask him our hard questions so jesus are you good are you powerful What about jesus what about bone cancer in children what does jesus make of the natural evil in the world Well, these questions are actually addressed in Matthew chapter 8, which Lachlan has just read there. And if you look with me there in verses 1 and 2, we can begin to see that, that this problem is confronted here. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now here, Jesus himself is confronted with natural evil, isn't he? Evil, which has nothing to do with the action of humans. A man with leprosy its not his fault. We could ask him the same question. Leprosy? god what's that about there's no explicit reason given for this man's suffering it's just there suffering is a reality of the world in which jesus encounters it's not because of karma it's not because he's made some bad decisions it's not because he's being punished the passage no, makes no attempt to explore why is he like this it just acknowledges that this is the world we have whether this is the best of all possible worlds there's no philosophical reflection it's just the reality of our world and hence suffering is not a surprise to Jesus. He enters a world with evil and suffering. He encounters a world where things like bone cancer and leprosy. So God is here confronted with this problem. And how does he respond? Well, we'll look with me in the passage. It says, "Well, a leper approaches Jesus and asks a question. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean." Now, he, here is stephen fry's question isn't it isn't this the problem of evil a loving god would want to eliminate evil lord if you are willing and a loving god has the power to eliminate evil you can make me clean the leper highlights the two issues of the complex problem of evil in this very simple question it's it's almost as if he's pondered the problem of evil in his own life are you able are you willing do you have the power do you have the, the desire and it's interesting that the leper actually assumes jesus power yet questions his goodness and i wonder if this perhaps is one of the natural responses to suffering Cassius lewis uh, the great author explores this question in his book a grief observed uh, with the writings that he penned in the days after the death, the death of his wife if you read the book you can feel the raw emotion and pain as in his words as he cries out saying he says what reason have we except our own desperate wishes to believe that god is good doesn't all the prima facie evidence suggest exactly the opposite so jesus so god are you willing to make me clean are you good Well, then look there in the very next verse. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And at this point, the problem of evil becomes problematic because Jesus says, I am willing. Jesus does have the power to overcome suffering but he also has the desire he willingly heals again. It's almost as though Matthew is acutely aware of the philosophical problem of evil. Is Jesus able to alleviate this man's suffering? Is Jesus willing to alleviate this man's suffering? The answer to both is yes. So what does this then mean? Now, notice that jesus the god man doesn't disappear in a a puff of philosophical logic the philosophical response must be that god has a reason for allowing suffering so it's far too simple to simply say that the presence of evil renders god evil impotent or imaginary because we see here god in jesus confronted with suffering and he deals with it he cures the leper so jesus has then demonstrated that he's both powerful and good so then what should our response be to this? Well, Matthew's provided a little answer in the very next episode he records for us in chapter eight, where a Roman centurion approaches Jesus. Now this centurion, a Roman centurion, had no pre-existing reasons to believe in the Jewish, Jewish God. He probably would have been a Roman, a pagan, probably a polytheist. And the Romans were occupiers, superior and dominant. The gods of Rome, in, in their eyes, but had obviously been more powerful and more favorable compared to the puny God of Israel. He was a man in charge of Roman soldiers, a commander, a leader, a man who asked nobody for help, and this is why his uh, verse five is so stunning and surprising. And see his response to Jesus here, because when Jesus it says in verse five, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, in Jesus, the centurion saw something. He saw something that his own gods could not re- re- resolve. And the shock and astonishment continues in verse six where the roman centurion addresses the penniless galilean preacher as lord so cultural familiarity perhaps has dulled how incredible it is that a centurion would approach jesus and address him in this way so for example imagine it's 1942 and it's the second world war german armies dominate europe germany occupies everything with supreme power all the world's riches are in german hands so then imagine a nazi general of norway some remote outpost of the german territory approaching a poor homeless street preacher about a sick soldier addressing him as my Fura." rome and its riches and powers offered no solution to his servants suffering the roman doctors offered no solution to his servants suffering the roman emperor offered no solution to the centurion's suffering and the roman gods offered no solution to his servants terrible suffering atheism offered nothing to his servants' terrible suffering, and he seeks Jesus. But why? Notice that the centurion questions neither Jesus' willingness nor his power to heal. See there in verse eight, he actually recognizes the authority of Jesus. Um, he uh, he recognizes authority when he sees it, and he recognized the authority of power of Jesus that in just a word, Jesus could heal him the response when coming in face to face with god himself was trust to trust the one with authority trust your life to him and trust your reputation to him centurion trusted himself to jesus of nazareth which was an insult not only to the roman pantheon of gods and to the supposed authority and glory of rome but it was also an insult to the jews the people of god because they should have been the ones recognizing jesus for who he was but a roman centurion trusted and recognized the prophet that they the jewish people were supposed to be looking for so much so that even jesus is amazed in verse 10 he hadn't seen such great faith in all israel a man who saw the power and goodness of god and yet trusts him this is the right response to god rather than shake a fist at god like stephen fry this pagan centurion sees jesus, jesus as the solution to the world's greatest problems And the solution to his immediate problem of his servant's suffering his trust was well placed because in verse 13 the servant is healed from a distance demonstrating precisely the power that the centurion had trusted so there is a a great irony of criticisms of people like stephen fry they seem to be saying there is no god and i hate him yet the response of the centurion is vastly different one of utmost respect and trust and when you're confronted and you see god face to face your response is different but then another a further question emerges said well why doesn't jesus just heal everyone well later in verse 16 he does it says when evening came many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick everyone who comes to see him personally is healed but supposing that jesus could just wave a wand and heal all afflicted people everywhere misunderstands the purpose for why he came and why he heals jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven the reigning presence of god it's a kingdom where god rules where there's healing and wholeness and unmediated unsullied relationship with him and jesus is the king notice there in verse 17 jesus healings point to his identity He is the one promised to bring his kingdom. He fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, a prophecy of the great anointed one. He doesn't heal simply to solve the philosophical problem of evil or show himself as a kind, benevolent miracle worker. He does it to reveal a glimpse of the kingdom and who he really is. And we see a glimpse of a kingdom where suffering is no more and we can see Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one of God. It's an exciting vision for life that even a, a pagan roman centurion can recognize it and the response to this messiah and this king of this new kingdom like the centurion is to trust him to trust him so then what does it mean then to trust jesus amidst pain suffering and difficulty well our context is slightly different jesus isn't with us in the same way now we can trust jesus to heal but given his greater purpose is to reveal the kingdom of god we have to wait till a full revelation of that kingdom before we can expect healing now yet we can still entrust ourselves to jesus amidst our sufferings and sickness and illness now as part of my role with city bible Forum, i've, I've developed and host a, a podcast and radio show called bigger questions it involves interviewing a guest about an aspect of their faith and life and a very powerful show which we ran a while back was with a woman named michelle and she shared of the many difficulties and hardships that she'd encountered in her life she shared that her brother died in a sudden car accident returning from his honeymoon when she was just 22 she tried unsuccessfully to have children with ivf for seven years she had a kidney disease which required dialysis every second day she had a donated kidney from her husband but it failed and she faced many hardships and challenges so i asked her in the interview why did she believe in god she answered by saying well I would not survive if I did not believe in God. God has kept me. God has helped me. God has protected me. God loves me. He is good to me. I still feel the love of God, the peace of God. He is my guardian and protector. If he wasn't there, I honestly don't think I'd be alive. And I certainly wouldn't be happy. So amidst her sufferings and difficulties, even though she had been some hadn't been removed, she still trusted Jesus. She endured her sufferings with Jesus alongside her and he had not disappointed her, even though her suffering hadn't been relieved in the same way Jesus healed the leper and the centurion servant. Michelle could trust Jesus with her suffering and she would await the coming kingdom. And interestingly, sometime after that interview, she actually did get a new kidney transplant, which is, has been working and that means she no longer needs dialysis. So maybe Jesus is still powerful and good today and as i finish up our culture fails to offer any convincing explanation nor answer to suffering a friend of mine from school once shared a message on facebook which came in response to her battle with cancer and i think it typifies our collective thinking about suffering she said life is short follow your bliss with abandon love those in your circle without fear or hesitation tomorrow isn't promised all we have is now and I can appreciate what she said, but I just thought, that's it. That's the way to respond to suffering. Tomorrow isn't promised. Today could be your last day. All we have is now and then nothing but pitiless indifference. Is there any hope? Well, there is Jesus, one who entered our broken world and offered hope, a world that can and will be fixed through Jesus. He's the one who can reach out to us in our brokenness and despair and offer hope to each one of us, Either now or most certainly when the kingdom is revealed in its fullness and we can respond by trusting the one who says, I am willing, be clean.
0: Thank you, Rob. Uh, We do have uh, questions starting to come through on the uh, question line. If you would like to engage in Q&A time, uh, if you're on Zoom, please use the Q&A function down the bottom. Or if you're joining us via uh, Facebook Live, you can type in the comments section and one of our staff will send them to me to add to the pool of questions I've got here for Rob. We've got a bit of time, uh, which is good because we've got some uh, good questions coming in here for you, Rob. Great. Uh, Just before we get to those, though, while we give Rob a chance to just, you know, catch his breath, uh, if you want to join our mailing list, so you get a weekly reminder uh, that Bible Shots is coming up. Also helpful if we need to let you know of any changes or any problems or anything like that. Uh, you might like to jump on the City Bible Forum website uh, and particularly to the Bible Shots web page. Uh, if you jump on the Bible Shots web page, uh, there is a, a link there uh, to uh, to my name, and you can uh, just let me know if you'd like to join the mailing list. Rob, on to some questions here. Yeah, sure. Uh, So we've got a few that have come in. Um, So one, uh, I might package together as a double-barrel question. So does Jesus still heal? Does Jesus still heal today? I think you started to address that in your talk. But also, is there a sense in which entrusting myself to the healthcare system might mean I'm lacking faith in God? Um,
1: yeah. uh yes jesus still does heal today but i would say that the expectation of healing is not the same as him being present i did talk about that in my talk um in my in my in my reflections and i can unpack that a little bit more but i think that there's certainly people who claim that jesus healed them today and there's no doubt that i think that he can work but he doesn't work in the same way um because he's not in the same he, he's not connected to us in this in the same way there mm-hmm. and i don't think that it's actually in, illegitimate to entrust yourself to the health care um, I think sometimes we can be, it's the sort of healthcare system. I think that sometimes we can set up unfortunate, um, uh, false dichotomies, faulty di- dichotomies or faulty dilemmas and to say, do I trust Jesus or the healthcare system? Uh, I don't think that that's actually a dilemma that the Bible actually necessarily forces us to make. I think you can trust Jesus and, try and trust you. yourself to the wisdom of doctors. In fact, we have a doctor who works on our team, uh, Sam Chan, who's often done these Bible talks as well, these Bible shots. Uh, i don't think that he would say actually you don't need don't need my services i'm just here um if for those who aren't christian if you're a christian then you don't need to come to to uh to you know if you trust in jesus you don't need to to, don't mind services i think that uh, the healthcare is available for all and some do have the gifts of healing and that's available for all but i think so I think that that doesn't mean that's a lack of trust uh, in God at
0: all in doing that.
1: I think, does that help? Is anything like that, is that is anything more that needs to be said there? Do you think Lachlan or is that? No, No, I, that I think that's
0: good. One of the other questions I think builds a little bit further. Um, so maybe to, to tease it out. So um, this is why in the new Testament did Jesus always heal when asked? Um, and then why does he randomly heal now? So some are healed. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, yeah.
0: Then really instantly and some not
1: that's a very good question, cra- and that's, that gets to the crux of what the, some of the issues of the previous one about: does Jesus still heal today? Um, I think that again, this comes back to one of the points I was making. If you look there in Matthew chapter eight, is talking about the purpose of his healing. What is the purpose of Jesus healing? I mean, he does it, I think, partly to demonstrate his goodness, which is what Matthew chapter eight was demonstrating. You know, are you willing? Um, if you're able, you, you know, are you willing? And he says, "I am. I am willing." I, which demonstrates his goodness there. Uh, but it also demonstrates his identity as the Messiah. And so I think that's a, a key purpose for his healings. Um, but it's also, I think it's an overflow of his compassion because he does actually uh, demonstrate compassion for those whom he approaches. So hence that's why he does spend a lot of time healing, et cetera. But there is an interesting um, passage in the beginning of Mark where he does do lots and lots of healing, but then he actually says, no, we, we, should, I mean, we need to go away and preach because that's why I've come. So it means that it, it actually means that his purpose of coming is not simply to be a, a a wonder working miracle worker who heals lots and lots of people um his purpose is actually his bigger than that um, if that's maybe maybe imp- impossible perhaps for some in our culture to realize how could you have a bigger purpose than than you know creating a than healing lots and lots of people that would seem to be an ultimate purpose but his purpose is actually to bring the kingdom and to demonstrate that that is what what it um uh how it is uh, so that demonstrate what the kingdom is so why are the healings more random today I, i'm not entirely sure why uh, but i think it's because we have less of a direct connection with jesus because he was physically there i mean just because jesus was there there still would have been lots of people um in the, the country surrounding him who surrounding him who still would have been suffering etc so i think it's because of the direct mediated presence there um, but that's not to say he can't heal today. And I certainly have been aware of situations where, you know, it seems clear that Jesus does heal, but I don't want to draw that same line uh, And again, because it comes back to the purpose that Jesus was healing in the first place, which was um, to demonstrate his identity uh, and who he is, and also provide a glimpse of the future of what the future heavenly reality will actually be, that it is actually a place of wholeness and healing, uh, etc. cetera. So I, I think maybe that, that begins it. It's a long, it's a long question. There's lots of, connected issues with that but i think that begins an answer there i think
0: yeah thanks rob a question that is maybe on a um, uh, coming at a slightly different angle um, why should we believe or why should we trust a passage like this it talks about you know a magical healing it mentions demons in the same story Um, surely we should conclude that actually the sources are biased uh, is actually a more rational response Um, yeah why do you think that this story is real rather than just a fiction
1: that's a great question. In fact, that's, uh, I mean, there's, we could do an entire series on why should we trust the Bible, because that's effectively what that question comes back to. Why, why do we believe that the Bible is trustworthy and real? number of different reasons we can go into that. I think that uh, you've got to be careful of avoiding a, what we call a category error. Just because it includes a, a magical healing, etc., we can't automatically dismiss it, because that's not the way history works. Uh, history is not based on probabilities or expectations it's actually based on what has happened in the past and what has been recorded um, ideally so we've got to work out whether or not the authors themselves are trustworthy and are providing a trustworthy and believable account sorry but but trustworthy account so just we can't we've got to make sure that we the first point is we can't just just dismiss it simply because it it contains miracles Uh, that would be i think um, prejudicial to the outcome I think one of the things that certainly for me, it's certainly something I've wrestled with personally for a long time about whether I can trust the Bible and whether or not we can actually believe the words that it says. And I think that uh, the passage at the beginning of Luke is a very instructive. Um, this is one of the other biographies of Jesus. It yeah. actually begins by uh, talking about the methodology. How, is the, how are the gospels constructed? And it talks about that they have carefully investigated everything consulting eyewitness who were there from the beginning. And so we can see that there were Connections to eyewitness accounts, etc., and so we can see that the the method by which the gospels have been constructed uh, is believable. And I suppose you can also look at the other the impact of history as well, and see well. If you saw a miraculous person doing stuff like this, you'd expect a response. So what kind of response would you find? Well, you'd find a bunch of people who were keen to write about him and speak about him and share that message, and that's precisely what we observe with the explosion of the early church. Uh, in a very specific, particular time of history and location, uh, that spread in a very uh, deliberate, and it wasn't a, something that accreted over many centuries, etc. It exploded at a specific moment, a specific time, with a specific message that was shared um, widely across uh, the world. And hence, the natural response would be to think, "Well, these guys would probably want to record what they've seen and done." And hence, that's why we have gospels in the first place. That's a beginning of a much longer answer and i spent um many uh hours many years of my life reflecting and deeply reflecting on that uh that topic i'm very happy to to share some more if someone would like to come back with some specific uh issues etc but i would say yeah as i said don't dismiss it just because it's sort of miraculous accounts i think that's actually not history that's philosophy and you've actually imported your categories on what you should expect in history Um, but also look at the method by the way the which the the gospels have been compiled and i think we have very good reasons to believe that the gospels are are trustworthy and are recording real events um, using the the format i mean the very nature of them being a biography as i've mentioned is uh the format if you were going to record historical events that's the genre that you would use um in the ancient world and that's exactly what we see with the um with new testament uh, just yeah, just on that, it was very interesting. There was actually a guy called Richard Burridge who wrote a document. What is the Gospels? Because he was trying to debate this, and he did a PhD with the full intention of demonstrating they weren't biographies. They weren't what the Romans called bioi or bioi. But he did his research, and he actually had to conclude completely the opposite. He actually said that they are bioi. <laughs> they are biographies, which would mean that they are recording about a real historical figure who existed and lived. That's the genre that they use, and that's exactly what they are trying to communicate. So that's Fascinating. Anyway, sorry, that's, that was a lot longer answer there. I can yeah, keep no, going, but that's okay. Uh, got some more questions there, Lachlan?
0: Uh, we'll finish up there because we're just over time, but if people sure. do uh, actually want to engage a bit deeper, again, if you contact me through the City Bible Forum website and the Bible Shots page, there's a link with my name, Lachlan, or on it, uh, you can let me know and we can send you some uh, some good resources for delving a little bit deeper. Definitely. Um, now, next week, Rob, we are looking at Jesus versus agents of evil. Uh, now, that sounds a little superstitious. Um, you know, What are we looking at and should we not invite our more sceptical friends?
1: You can invite anyone. it's Just talking about, it's not, this is not secret. This is not a Marvel universe that we're entering here. This is not a sort of James Bond, Jason Bourne kind of uh, thing. Just talking about who are the people that bring evil in our world. And unfortunately, this is one that we've looked at sort of nat- somewhat of natural evil today. A bit of a, a beginning of looking at, you know, things like cancer and leprosy, etc. Next week, it's talking about the evil that um, agents or people or humans or other people of who bring about evil uh that's where we're looking at next week yeah so it might actually perhaps be a little bit more confronting uh because it might find it's a bit more of a difficult conversation for us to acknowledge because we might actually be part of that all right to tune in next week
0: yeah yeah we'll look forward to tuning in next week for that uh more confronting conversation yeah But until then, Rob, thanks for uh, taking us through this part of Matthew. Uh, Thank you for joining us on the live stream uh, and we look forward to seeing you uh, next week for uh, talk number three, Jesus versus Agents of Evil. Thanks for coming and have a great week.